This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. We are back from yet another adventure, a first ever adventure where it was the Colorado Rockies area. It's actually far western Colorado. It wasn't the central like front range like people are used to. It was quite awesome. We got to go back to Million Dollar Highway, which is one of our faves, that entire area, Telluride, mm-hmm. Ure. If you've ever been in that area of Colorado, you'll know what we're talking about. It was amazing. We even came back up through Grand Mesa after good. the, the trip was, was kind of over. Fantastic. Good. It was good, brilliant. Good. The road in some spots was pretty rough. The pavement was not great. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to take it slow, but a few, uh, few undulations there. But otherwise, it was a great road coming back up to Interstate 70 and then good. Grand Junction good, good. in that area. So I ask how that excellent. part was because my wife and I went one way and you guys one another because my wife and I were trying to celebrate a little bit of of our 25th anniversary. I can't believe I just said that publicly because that's a a lot of years, but very, very cool. The big reason I bring that up is because this is the first time she's ever been involved in any of our adventures. It was also the first time we've ever had an adventure that was designed to be spouse friendly. And I think everybody that was a spouse that came enjoyed themselves. That's what I heard. I kept asking people and it seemed like everybody had a really great time. It was very fun whether or not they drove and they just enjoyed oh, the scenery yes. and the cars yes, yes. and mm-hmm. and that was very very nice to hear so second adventure it came upon us really quick but yeah we're, we're going to try to do we'll, two uh, domestic adventures do more yeah <laughs> try to do more hopefully do two domestic adventures and uh, our pilgrimage trip next year as well i do not have dates on any of those but they will probably all form up after we get our pilgrimage set up and just so many mm-hmm. of you have asked just so you know we don't even have a guess on the next year's pilgrimage trip until we see the track schedules for the following year, which we won't get till December, January. And then mm-hmm. we'll figure yeah. out where pilgrimage goes. And then we'll make a Utah adventure and some other adventure. Maybe this Rocky Mountain thing. And we have other ideas kind of bubbling. We'll do something. No matter what, uh, our dear friend Mandy is going to build these domestic adventures. And I have learned, in spite of the fact that you and I are involved, I have learned that she just nails it. She really does. You and I just kind of get in cars and go, where are we going? Oh, that's right. We're going here. It's going to be great. Yeah, she's it's so cool. set up yeah. great hotels, great restaurants, and we couldn't do without her. So absolutely. Moving on to this week, our schedule this week involves many Porsches because Mm -hmm. we are attending the 75th anniversary of Porsche as a company. Yep. That's right. We will be at Rensport Reunion 7 later this week, Wednesday through Friday. So if you are there, you're kicking around and you spawn us, please say hello. We'd love to say hello as well. It would be very cool. And and I'm just going to go ahead and call it. Of everybody there, I may be the least Porsche excited of anybody there that weekend. I'm glad to go. I'm glad to go. You are going to fly the banner high, and I'm going to be there. That's how that's going to work. There's something for everyone. There there will be something for everyone. You will enjoy yourself. Yes, I think so too. We're we're there, and uh, hopefully, we'll do a a podcast from Rensport. We don't know quite when during the day that we'll get it done, but we will be, you know, hopefully not motorsports noises in the background, but it'll be a little bit of a different kind of a podcast. It will be very cool. And also, over on our test drive channel, the Wrangler Rubicon. 392 pieces now playing. We actually did some severe off-roading because mm-hmm. it's been a long time since we really did some genuine off-roading. And yeah, so we yeah, took that thing cool. out to Little Moab and bounced around and laughed our heads off. And marveled at the fact that a brick can go that fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no, two things. When we were rock crawling, we weren't going fast. We were rock crawling and marveling at the things that Jeeps can do. But then when we were on road, we were just marveling at, this is a brick. It's an absolute, it's a brick. utter brick that it feels supersonic, which is hysterically funny. It's a loud brick. It, oh, but very. Still, extremely it's loud brick. brick, yes. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We want to remind you that one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle is better brakes. An upgraded brake system can transform a vehicle's performance and give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. Track, trail, or traffic, every vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. No matter what your vehicle is or your driving style, PowerStop has a complete brake upgrade kit for you. Head to PowerStop.com. 
Fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder, and you'll be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, truly noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. We have both experienced firsthand the upgrade quality on our own vehicles. I've got the Z36 truck and tow pads and rotors on my Ford Expedition, and it brakes more powerfully than it ever has. Join the thousands of drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today. Power Stop. Brake upgrades made easy. Our topic Tuesday comes from Major. He is writing to us in regards to audio, mm. but not what you think. This isn't about exhaust. It's about in-car audio. Mm -hmm. And Major says he can't remember when he started watching the show, but he remembers listening to our podcast starting about episode 462. We're about double that at this point. Wow. Thank you for being with us. Major, really appreciate it. But he says, in regards to our conversation, there's little if any conversation about the audio inside most vehicles. Mm. And I want to pause there, Major, and just say, because it's really difficult to translate superior car audio on a YouTube video because yes. of how people watch. Mm -hmm. Even if we recorded that audio as best as we possibly could with high-end equipment, it matters what you watch it on. But there's also the middle ground, and that is, we would let's say we recorded it perfectly, which, by the way, probably wouldn't happen, with some standardized audio test. So on our recordings, you can actually tell the fidelity of the audio. Mm. Let's just say we mm -hmm. accomplished that yeah. at speed, by the way. This would be very right. difficult, okay? Right. Let's say we accomplished that. There is no chance if you were even monitoring it on your best studio monitor, that it would matter because in the middle is compression, heavy compression mm -hmm. to get it to you via YouTube. Heck, heavy compression is involved getting this podcast to you, making it a tiny file. So there is absolutely no way for us to showcase this, which takes it down to, do we show you those charts that you can get, the charts that show you the fidelity oh. of the, do you wanna read the chart on screen I don't. I don't either. I don't want anybody else to have to read that chart because obviously it just matters your favorite song and that moment in time mm. and you've cranked the stereo and, and you love listening to it. And yeah, some car stereos sound a lot better than others. And Major says that he understands as a car community that is more about driving, but the audio for him is just as important as any other factor in driving. He's in Houston, and he's been a driver since 1993. Almost every vehicle he's bought over the years was a used vehicle that desperately needed the entire audio system to be redone just to hear the radio. Mm. He says, being a person that loves a number of different genres of music, the audio has always been important. He's grown from being the guy that wanted the loud over-the-top system, well, like me in high school, <laughs> and being heard isn't the goal anymore, but right now he's more concerned with sound quality and personal enjoyment. I get that. That's great. He's listened to a few other podcasts that specifically discuss car audio, and he does realize that stuff can get extremely expensive. But his question for us is this, if we were to have the car of our choice for daily driving and we had to replace the audio, what exactly would we do? Is there a specific brand that you'd go with or mix and match? Or is there a specific genre of music that we want our audio to be most compatible with? Mm. Major is currently in an 09 Chevy Silverado that desperately needs an audio upgrade. <laughs> he says this is one of the few times he doesn't really know exactly which brand to purchase, but our input is appreciated. And then he poses a question to the entire community and the listening audience. Why don't we talk about audio at all, especially aftermarket audio upgrades and mm. we discussed our in-car audio experiences. We can say this is the best sounding stereo we've ever heard and I can't show it to you. I, I can't there's no let way. you hear it. We can't duplicate it. Even on uh, uh, TV quality, yes. know, full full crazy production, incredible recording quality standards, we still couldn't do it. We still couldn't get that we across to the viewer. We can't get that over to you is the thing. I can't get it in a way that is reliable on your end. You're going to say, well, that doesn't sound that great, and it's going to be compression, if nothing else, in the middle. Yeah. Well, Major, whatever vehicle you choose to upgrade, because you've realized things are so expensive, and, and this is coming from me, I was a base head in high school, I shoved my friend's twin 10-inch Fisher home stereo speakers, <laughs> twin 10s in the back of my Jeep Cherokee, got a two-ohm crossover to get the real lows, oh my and gosh. hooked it up to an equalizer and <laughs> pounded that thing to bits. I mean, my family could hear me coming home from school. <laughs> A block away, it was so loud, but really it was mainly just because bass frequencies are non-directional and so those travel uh, quite a ways. But when you're upgrading, it's not just the head unit. And you really wanna concentrate on amps and the power to those speakers. Because mm. I have been to audio demonstrations major where I've heard stock speakers in a vehicle that were 
okay. They weren't the low end mm-hmm. systems, of course. The base systems in any car, obviously terrible because that's a great place for car manufacturers to save money. But let's just say a general mid-range, decent audio system, and manufacturers have just added amps Mm -hmm. to the existing head unit and the Mm. existing speakers. So nothing about the stock stereo system was changed. The components are the same. But all they did was add power to give more power to these speakers. It's kind of like putting 91 in a car that is used to 85. Sure. 91 octane suddenly tastes really great mm-hmm. and the car seems to run better and maybe a bit more power. That's why Mazda claims a lot more torque in their Mazda three turbos than if you use regular gasoline. Yeah, it, it, it cuts it back. Yeah. So I would go after power first before you do mm. anything and you have to be able to budget not just for the audio system itself, but budget for the car that you're driving. Is this 09 Chevy Silverado something that you're going to keep for a long time? Mm -hmm. Do you envision yourself keeping it for at least four to five more years? Because if so, absolutely spend the money on the audio. But an 09 Chevy Silverado, okay, you might have to do some work in the engine. Is it you know above 150,000 miles? Mm -hmm. Are you gonna keep it that long? If it is, I definitely say that is worth it. And then you can investigate things like the head unit. Of course, you're going to want to upgrade to Apple CarPlay or Android Auto and something like that that will help you actually enjoy the tech in your vehicle a little bit more. But again, power and then go after speakers. It's it's the same kind of audio approach that we take when we talk about driver upgrades first, okay. then tires, then brakes, then add power. This is a little bit different because you want to add power to your existing speakers. That to me is the driver upgrade. Mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. You don't have to just get better speakers because if you just get really great speakers and you don't have the power to really to make them perform, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you've kind of wasted your money. Then you have to add an amp and then you have to go more. So do one thing at a time, but you're for what you're wanting, you're going to have to go after a, a more of a custom install than anything. And I mean, you can go as high as Focal in the very end. That's the French manufacturer of very high-end audio and they do car audio installs, but you're going to have to really say, all right, I want to start with maybe a oh, an amp that is just driving two channels at the front well, you've got a Chevy Silverado, so maybe you just do the fronts to start mm-hmm. with, and then you can add an amp, amp for the rear speakers. But if you want the full sound, you're going to have to do the entire cab. My second suggestion here is acoustic insulation like Dynamat or similar, mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily have to tear the door cards off and replace everything, but you can do the floor, you can do inside the headliner, just the insulation alone. And you'll notice in the more high-end cars that have the Burmester systems in them, they've got double-pane glass. Mm-hmm. That's to not only keep road noise out, but to make the audio system sound better because you've got a, a quiet cabin to yep. start with. Yep. Those are my suggestions. Look into that. And again, you're going to have to go after more of a custom installer to say, all right, I don't want to just replace the head unit because everybody starts with a head unit. It's like adding a turbocharger to your engine. Mm-hmm. Well, the head unit, yeah, they, they can push a little bit more power, generally speaking, but you, you might want to think of running a cable directly from the battery instead of going through your fuse panel because there's so many crappy installs that pull power out of the fuse panel instead of wiring your amps directly from the battery. That way you'll cut down on the the uh, uh, negative ground mm-hmm. hum that can happen quite a bit. So the higher end systems, they, like I said, they, they go direct f- power from your battery. So that means running a new cable, make sure the cable is uh, sealed at the firewall so it doesn't wick water down into your carpet in the interior of your cabin. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, go after power to start, amps to start. Maybe your speakers are good enough where adding minor amounts of power will just instantly improve the overall quality. Mm-hmm. And then you think about adding speakers. So maybe a thing at a time, that way you're not blowing your budget on an entire in-car audio system from the very beginning. Paul has nailed this, by the way, and he has gone farther than I, I could have gone on much of this because he has more experience in it, clearly. But I want to talk about a couple things that you are fighting, Major, and we're all fighting with car audio. And Paul mentioned a little bit already, and that is the sheer amount of noise created by a car moving down the road. Mm-hmm. And the sheer amount of noise yeah. that varies dependent upon the kind of road you're on and the tires you're running and what are the conditions outside? 
If you would like to listen to music at a really high quality, probably the worst place on the planet is a car going 80. <laughs> That's a great All point. All right, if, you, if, if what you're hoping for is pristine audio, that is the wrong place. It's the, it's the world's worst environment. This is kind of in that tuning out of class thing. We're battling against something that the car fundamentally is bad at. That's it's not true. good at being an audio entertainment system. You can do it. You can listen. Any, any car out there, I mean, my Lotus Elise, I technically have a stereo that pushes audio to the speakers. But you've noticed, for sheer sound level, and also to be able to hear music or make phone calls, I wear noise-canceling headphones yeah. in that car, yeah. which makes a world of difference. And I'll, and I'll actually give you a couple of examples. Are you suggesting just headphones? Uh, maybe. Get some great noise-canceling no, headphones see, and see, we're good? Here's, here's the thing, Major. The other thing about kind of showing this off or talking about with other people, and I have learned this for many, many times, every person I have met has a different parameter for what sounds good to them in a car stereo. The person next to me might want to only hear bass. But the person next to them, they want to hear mid-range constantly because they want to pick out every little word and they want a lot of nuance in every little word. And if the bass and the, and the treble drop, I don't really care. I can hear the words because I listen to a lot of talk radio or whatever it is, okay? Mm-hmm. So everybody's desire for audio is, ve- is very different. So manufacturers are trying to hit something that hits a price point and is a total middle ground. But anybody that comes in as an audiophile with specific needs, it's not going to be good enough. That's one thing I've learned. But the other thing is, you were trying to make a less than ideal environment ideal for audio. And that is somewhat of a losing battle. So it becomes a question of how much do you want to spend? And I'll give you an example I ran across. When I was shopping for my Lotus Elise, Mm -hmm. there was a guy selling one. If I remember the ad correctly, they were selling it and advertising the fact on their ad that they had $30,000 worth of upgrades to their Elise. And after you dug in, you realized that they had re-skinned the entire cabin of the Elise to turn it into a luxury car look. With the Lotus Elise, what are you doing? And in the process, had put in <laughs> what? a custom-made high-end Macintosh audio system in their oh. Elise with multiple speakers, custom surrounds. They had put in a killer, probably incredibly expensive audio system in an interior in an Elise that was now bathed in leather. And I just thought... How much have you missed the point? That's really interesting. Now, if all they did was drive it slowly around Arizona, because I think it was being sold in Arizona, slowly around Arizona to Cars and Coffee, and they never got above like 30 miles an hour, and they never got in the second cam, then maybe that was a benefit. And they missed the point. But but how how much weight did you add to your Lotus? And if you're trying to get your Lotus, your Lotus Elise, mind you, to have good audio, this is a total tuning out of class moment. Why didn't you mm. buy a luxury sedan mm-hmm. and upgrade that with a Macintosh system? What are you doing with working on your Lotus Elise? Because <laughs> how much were they asking for this thing? I, I, for, I genuinely forget, but be, like, they, they weren't. They weren't at thirty thousand. I'm no, trying to add that to they, the price of the car. To their and, credit, they okay. weren't saying as a result this is thirty thousand more than it should be, but it was more than <laughs> other low tie around them. Okay, <laughs> because they were like, we did thirty thousand dollars worth yeah, of upgrades to no. the interior. It's like, what are you yeah. doing? So just sound deadening alone. Putting a bunch of sound deadening in my Elise, I would knock down road noise and I would knock down uh, the, the bad sounds of road noise to help me with st- a car stereo. But do I want to? Mm-hmm. Is, your, yeah. is your 09 Silverado, just drive it down the highway at 80 miles an hour right now with nothing turned on. How loud is it inside? Do you want yeah. to settle it down? Yeah. Do you want to spend that money and time? This is very personal and I think it's very easy to chase a rabbit hole here. And I also think if what you're looking for is a great commuter with great interior audio, you should shop an old luxury sedan. That's a good idea. The old sedans we bought. The Phaeton that I had had a great stereo. I mean, it was archaic and how you connected to it. There was no Apple CarPlay right, or that kind of stuff. Right. But the stereo, the interior quality, because again, great sound deadening, yeah. double pane glass. Yeah. And, they, and because it was such an expensive car originally, the components were fairly high end. So if you're looking for audio, you need to chase luxury cars, not performance cars. We just got back from this road trip, Mm -hmm. and I was driving the vet with my wife. We had a great time driving the C8. It was perfect for us. Isn't it great? It's great. It's great for that. The Apple CarPlay in that car, two things about it. First off, it's wonderful to use. Also, it is the strongest Apple CarPlay connection I've ever encountered because if if I am not in the car and I'm driving behind you in the car, we'll connect my phone. Yeah, I know. Even at a distance. I'm like, wait. So you've got to like turn things off. Yeah, anyway, that's a separate thing. Yeah. But, but that car is a low-slung sports car on performance tires. So most of the time, it's creating far too much road noise to create good quality sound. And the stereo's okay. It's not amazing, but it's solid. Mm-hmm. But it's solid sitting still. Go do 80 miles an hour on a rough road and be like, how far do I have to turn this up? 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. Major, you could just remember those Bose 901 reference speakers that oh, were no. like the rage from oh, 30 <laughs> plus years ago. It's like, oh, yes. I've got the Bose 901s. Oh, yes. you're a true stereophile. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're the size of your trunk. <laughs> yeah. Two of them will fill your trunk. He's got a Silverado. Yeah, he could just exactly. put those in the back seats on the stand, like take the back seat out or fold it up, <laughs> put Bose 901s. Remember those old things or whatever, I the do. clip speakers. I do. Or, yes. You could do that like With I the did 901s, in high school. the big wedges, they the were wedges, huge. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. On the crazy, the Aero Saarinen kind of look, the, oh gosh, the stand to it. So you could do that. But Major, one last thing to leave you with, and that is wiring. I have been horrified as I've looked into my own house stereo and mm. what would I want to do? You look at the wires in your car and they're awfully tiny and tiny. rather cheap and tiny, part tiny. of the wiring harness. Mm-hmm. Low gauge wires that are really nice, those are like putting better tires on your car because that carries the music signal. Mm-hmm, that's the signal. Yeah. From the head unit to the speakers. That's the thing that is the the rubber to the road, really, because mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. carrying your signal. So really high-end systems, you gotta consider wiring. And I realize the really high-end cables for your house are horrifyingly expensive. Unbelievably so, You'll yes. think, oh, the stereo costs a lot? Nope, you can spend <laughs> up to 10 grand on cables for your house. <laughs> what? And somebody has the higher end cable than the person next to me. You're standing there in yeah. the store with two cables going, do I need gold? Is <laughs> yeah. gold better? Gold's not good enough. What else should I be looking at? Oh, this is a platinum cable <laughs> so over here. Part of that custom install will include better wiring for you, for those speakers. And again, your speakers might be Fair enough. They might be decent and they might come to life with just a bit more power and better wiring. I mean, I know they will, but then you're going to want to investigate, you know, good brands. I've always been an Alpine fan, but I love Pioneer. I love uh, so many brands. There's so many great brands out there. So you'll have to listen and determine what you like. I do like the, the, different luxury sedan as an option. Kind of like we suggest, yeah. don't live next to curvy roads. Have you considered new real estate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> want, want fun back roads? Consider moving. Need, need better stereo? Get a, get a little luxury car. Yeah. And especially if you're thinking about selling it in like one or two years, don't put the money into the audio system upgrade, just like Todd's Lotus story. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the money back out of it, just like no. any performance part. But if you're keeping it long-term or if you're going to lease something new, that's why car companies have figured out we can charge way more for the $15,000 Bowers and Wilkins or the Burma or whatever mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Have you noticed that every car company is now partnering with somebody, with some audio, high-end audio manufacturer, McIntosh, uh-huh. Rockford Fosgate was in there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody got a chance. You remember the RX-7, the FD RX-7 from the 90s. You popped open the rear hatch and yes. it had what looked like air uh, like air conditioning ducts that yes. created the rear speakers on that car. It was one of the weirdest setups I have the, ever seen. The Bose sound tube for yeah. that car. It's crazy. crazy. KEFs and Audi. Anyway, hopefully you, you find something to your liking and hope this helps, Major. Really appreciate you listening, watching. Thank you so much. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Whatever car you're looking for and wherever it's listed, you'll find it with autotempest.com. Autotempest.com brings together results from all the top used car listing sites online to save you time and help you find the perfect car. It even lets you compare with nationwide results from Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist, not just your local area. Plus, you can now get email alerts for your search, so you're sure to never miss a thing. You can even price and find new cars from nearby dealers. That's why Auto Tempest is now the official sponsor of all of our test drive videos. We use it to search for new cars or used cars wherever they are. When you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing the next family car, or just browsing so you can see what's available, go to autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. Auto Tempest. All the cars. One search. Daniel G. is in North Carolina writing about that, quote, I want it feeling. Mm-hmm. We all know that feeling. That's pretty, I want it feeling. Pretty much the whole reason we do what we do is because yes. why do I want that? I just want that car. I want it. <laughs> Daniel, thank you for writing. Daniel has a terrible car history. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He had an 86 Chevy Citation, which is a true skid mark on the underpants of automotive history. He I writes, like that description. That's very good. He had a 97 Accord wagon and manual and a 2010 Camry. 
He's hoping to change this trend with his next purchase. Okay. A coworker described Daniel as intensely pragmatic. Unfortunately, Daniel admits to that. His minister of fun, MOF, shares his pragmatism. However, she does not share his affinity of cars and views them as nothing more than a way to get from point A to point B, although she really likes sunroofs. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's your, see, everybody has their thing. Mm -hmm. Whatever he hopes to get must be argued to be somewhat responsible and a sound decision. And he has pleaded that he needs to make it the, the I want it feeling. He needs to make that feeling go away. That was not effective, though, in his argument. <laughs> but by the way, quick quick side note here, Daniel. What does your wife have in, in her life that she just likes? And, and does it have a sunroof? And you don't get it. Yeah. It's just, it's just something she enjoys. This is what this is for you. But anyway, onward. Well, he's looking for something that isn't completely ubiquitous and has a nicer interior. So that means Mustangs, Camaros, Corvettes, and those kinds of cars are out. Okay. The Minister of Fun prefers four doors for practicality. See, how can you describe her as MOF Minister of Fun if she doesn't like cars? You can't give her that moniker. I agree. If but she's in, not in yeah, cars. Onward. Okay. All right, MOF. She prefers four doors for practicality of future children. Although we've had the discussion about mm -hmm. future children and buying something now when you don't know when you're going to have kids. Yes. Well, and even if, if you said to me, uh, yes, we're about to be pregnant, it's still nine months away. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no doctor, but you don't need four doors this minute. I didn't even sleep at Holiday Inn Express last I totally night. agree. So, I, th yeah, the, we, we're going to have children at some point, so let's buy a car for them now is not really the right approach. But, okay, you know what? I'm going to be hungry later, so I'm going to buy dinner now. I'm going to buy it, like, hot right now so that when I'm ready to eat it in four hours, guess what? It's cold, and I should have gotten it then. This is what we're talking about. That's anyway, fantastic. Well, Daniel does not seem to be much of a hot hatch guy. He thinks it is PTSD from driving a wagon during college. He is not open to a convertible. Okay. But Daniel enjoys something with a good amount of power, so he gives preference to zero to 60 times, five seconds or under. He knows it's not the most important thing, but he can't drive everything, and he had to start dwindling down his options somewhere. His commute is short or non-existent, but there might be the possibility of a monthly 10-hour road trip. In car terms, he says his physique has a wide body kit, so he needs something <laughs> okay. that's comfortable right. to, to sit in. Not too small. He would love a manual, but he's open to automatics, especially with the, the flappy paddles. So he's look, also looking for something no more than six years old, less than 80,000 miles, hmm. and some right combination creating value holds sig significant weight in his choices. And the budget is $30,000 with a polymeter of 25. You went the wrong direction, Daniel. <laughs> Did you notice that? I don't He's understand. Like, I want to spend 30. And if you really push me, I want to spend 25. <laughs> that's where that's going. That's really funny. I went to really design funny. school, but I uh -huh. can still do that kind of math. Exactly. The only exception he said would be a good quadrifolio under 35000 for which he would sell a guitar and an amp to make up the difference. Okay. Ooh. How about a bunch of amps in the Chevy Silverado? <laughs> Different. Not we're talking major. about. Not we're talking about. You could just yeah. put some amps back there. <laughs> I like the Bose 901s better. Oh anyway. my gosh. Guitar amps. But anyway, yeah. moving on. All right. Yes. Well, he says there's a few out there, the quadrifolios he's talking about, and he's narrowed down his list at this point to cars that he believes meet his criteria, and he is in the middle of his drive homework. Those cars include a Jaguar F-Type V6. So far, that's been tested. A Genesis G70 3.3T, that's been tested. Let's see, Mercedes C43 AMG. He's got the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the TI, for mm -hmm. the budget choice. I don't think there's any quadrifolios for 35. I think there's still like 45, 50. That, well, that's kind of the bottom of the market. He's right. That's the bottom of the market is just under 40. But that's you, you better get lucky finding one is kind of the thing, yeah. The cars that Daniel's considered but he is not convinced her for him, or he just plain doesn't like, okay. include a long list of all of our favorites. <laughs> he is heading us off at the pass. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. M240i, Infiniti Q50 Red Sport 400, the Kia Stinger GT, the GR86, the Miata RF. I mean, And he gives reasons for each mm -hmm. of these he about does, yeah. why I don't like them. Mm -hmm. Like the Subaru WRX. It seems a little immature. Well, okay. yes. Yes, let's be immature. <laughs> yeah, and? <laughs> I don't see the, well, we the going, problem. Yes. GTI is too boring. The Civic Type R is ugly. The Focus RS has interior quality issues. He loved the look of Challengers, but now he says they're too heavy and boat-like and they look tired. The price point after COVID for Caymans is ridiculous. Same with Audi TTs. And the Nissan Nismo 370Z is not his styling preference and just looks tired to his eye. 
The question is, what is a quick car that leans towards luxury under 30K that isn't ancient and beat down? What is he missed? Mm. I have choices. Good. I'm so glad. And you said you aren't a hot hatch guy, but you cannot ignore my 2019 Veloster N Fine with 44,000 miles for $25,000 at Jaguar Land Rover in Albuquerque. You can't ignore that, Daniel. Love it. That, you know what? The Veloster Inn is on my wildcard list. Is it? Here's my commentary there. It has three doors for your not-yet-here kids. <laughs> for your not-kids. Okay. So <laughs> if you need a back seat, there is that third door. Okay? And also, it has the potential to have redemption for the hot hatch. The Veloster yeah. Inn is awesome. You can get it in either stick shift or DCT. The Veloster Inn should absolutely be considered. No question. Daniel, how about the Mazda 3 Turbo? You don't have to get the hatch. You can get the sedan. Same engine. That's a good turbo. Pump. That's very good. I Small, like that. Small, fun, yep. automatic. Mini Coopers are fun. Honda S2000s, they're not quite beat down and they don't lean toward luxury, but they do lean towards fun. And you called your wife Minister of Fun. So a Honda ah. S2000 is a convertible, but I agree. Let's it's add some fun. Let's add some fun. But the car that I think you should look at, take a real close, hard look at, is the sister car to the new 11th generation Honda Civic Si, and that is the Acura Integra. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's four doors. It's a liftback. Mm-hmm. It's fun. You can choose manual. You can get an automatic. Mm. The interior's modern. It leans towards luxury because it's an Acura. That's the whole... <laughs> Acura. We lean towards luxury. Yeah, leaning toward luxury since 1990-whatever-it-was. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We're not Lexus. We're not Mercedes. We're not BMW. We're not uh-huh. Rolls-Royce even. But we do lean towards luxury. Consider yes. us. And the price point is good still. Even slightly used, a year old Acura Integra. Choose your transmission, choose your color, go buy yourself an Integra and be happy and be done. That's very good. I, I, I'm going to say a couple things to you here. Uh, first off, Daniel, keep, keep this in mind. I appreciate the fact that you're trying to weed things out with a zero to 60 time. I thought you were going to say with a weed whacker. No, not, not quite. <laughs> but, and, and I get that. all? But I think. You, you're a person that you want to offset this, but I just want it factor. And I don't think that's connected to zero to 60. I don't even think it's connected to power. I, totally I think agree. it's connected to have you driven it and do you like it behind the wheel? Okay. And I wonder, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking, you've said the GR86 isn't in consideration for lack of power and because you don't like the seats. My question is, have you driven it? Do you mean the GT86, Daniel? Because power is now part of the GR86 recipe. Well, and the Miata RF is not a powerful car. No. Now, I know you, you said because you're a big guy, maybe that's why you don't fit in the GR86. Maybe that's it. But what I'm, I feel like with the GR86 and the Miata RF, both of those, I feel like you've thrown them out because you looked at the stats. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that the, there's an interesting thing going on here where Fun isn't necessarily connected to speed. Fun is connected to engagement. And I think a car that is technically slower but engages you more, you might like more. Not necessarily, but I think it's a possibility. I'm going to run down your list real quick, Daniel, and say, first off, when I was reading your email, I thought, Quadrifolio. <laughs> and then you got there. So I love that that is actually the lead thing exactly, on your yeah. list. The Alpha yeah. Julia Quadrifolio is awesome. You're right. I think you would also enjoy a Lesser Julia. Those are close to a five seconds, zero to 60. They're low fives, which even with that little 250, 250 horsepower turbo uh, four, that, those cars always feel faster than they really are. And they have a pretty good zero to 60. So I see how you're going, getting there. The Quadrifolio is such a nice step up that if you can get one, I think that is fantastic. But that got me going a couple other places. You mentioned the Genesis G70. You definitely need to consider that car seriously if you can find one used for your budget. Those are excellent. But this also puts you in territory of two other cars because you, you've mentioned that you kind of like big V8s, but you kind of don't like the cars they're in. So what about an E90 M3? Ooh. Stick shift or not, <laughs> oh. an E90 M3. Oh, that's good. Four doors, looks kind of subtle, really good seats, good space, very fun to drive, excellent engine. And while we're there, I have to bring it up, Chevy SS. Now, unfortunately, the Chevy SS is mid-30s. That's going to be quadrifolio money. That's a little bit above your standard budget. But Chevy SS and BMW E90 M3 are both not on your radar for four-door cars with a big old V8 in them. Oh, my gosh. Because you've taken out Mustangs, Camaros, and Corvettes, and even the Challenger and Charger pretty much for the interior is not good enough. You didn't say, don't like the engine, don't want the power. That's not the issue. You don't like the interiors. 
Okay, the Chevy SS has got a surprisingly good interior, and the BMW M3 is a BMW M3. The interior is great. E90 M3 or Chevy SS for you, my friend. Look at both of those. They're a little older than six years old. You did give that listing. I, I see that. But, okay, I, I don't think this is a big downgrade because those cars are a bit older. So Not at all. I think you need to consider both of those. And then I have one other wild card that okay. aligns with some of the stuff you've mentioned, Paul, and that is, you know what you get brand new for your budget? Brand new. Manual transmission, four doors, and fun is the Honda Civic SI. Yeah. You brought up yeah. the Integra. I'm going to go SI. Yeah. That was on my wild card list because here's a car that also, on, on the surface, you see a Honda Civic SI, and it's just a practical little Honda. It's just, it's just a pra- Honey, it's a practical little Honda. But that is a car that is incredibly fun behind the wheel. Yes. And new. Yes. New, you can get them for like 30 to 35 grand. Brand new. Brand new. You're not even shopping used anymore in that scenario. So you could go get yourself a brand new Honda Civic Si. Now the zero to sixty? No, it's not under five. It's not. It's like in the sixes. Yeah, but okay? it's fun. But it's genuinely fun to drive. Get that little tiny mm. turbo motor spinning, and it's a blast. That's if you didn't drive it on the same day as the E90 M3, because in that case, I think the E90 M3 wins. I think you're right. You have nailed it. I totally forgot about that car. I think it's a fantastic suggestion. And Daniel, I do think it wins because you told us your commute is short or non-existent. Mm -hmm. And we always talk about how bad the fuel economy is in the E90 M3. That V8 was thirsty. Thirsty, but you're not going to care. But you're not going to care. And you Mm -hmm. said the possibility of a monthly 10-hour road trip. 10-hour round-trip road trip. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when you spend your money on the fuel. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the and time... And you're running in sixth gear. <laughs> you <laughs> yes. just calm down. Yeah. The problem is you and I can't <laughs> calm down in that car. Exactly. That's our problem. We would get if decent you... gas mileage in sixth gear on the highway, but we're running third right. or fourth because have you heard the engine? That's what we're doing. This is our problem. That's why we have to tow an oil tanker. <laughs> and it looks good. It looks great. It's got your, well, your gas bill will go up because now you're going to want to just take it out for no reason to go find Love a it. fun road. Love it. That's a great choice. All right, Daniel, write to us with, uh, when, once you complete your drive homework, let us know what you find. And if you've got in a, a debate, just like Daniel, write to us every day, driver TV at gmail.com for all your topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions and your car debates. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over on Instagram, Mr. Negro called me out by saying last week, I said, besides the design brief on BMWs like the Grills and the Hofmeister Kink, BMW doesn't have cohesive design. Neither the 4 or the 8 Series Coupes have the kink anymore. Well, slightly. It's, it's It's like one inch long. Under what circumstances would you think now is the right time to get rid of this long running signature design element, not specifically the kink, but any brand that does this? Mm. He also writes the new class prototype that we mentioned looks like the 2001 Lincoln Zephyr MKZ. Ugh. You're not wrong, actually. Ugh. That's an interesting point, yeah. I've been wondering, <laughs> that's the car that it reminded me of. You're right, now's a good time, but isn't it interesting the new class prototype has none of the signature styling elements, I'm talking surface development, that the current crop of BMWs has. They're trying to introduce something in the future that really doesn't look like future to my eye. Mm. It doesn't match any of what design themes you've currently set, surface-wise, theme-wise, or other. And it just looks like something different. It doesn't even look remarkable to my eye. Mm. I think you're right. So now is a good time. You know what? Anytime's a good time for a car <laughs> to company. Throw it all out and start again, <laughs> especially right if you're now. BMW. <laughs> Anytime, after a, a period of time, just like Kia is kind of doing, you see them starting to kind of get away from that tiger nose theme. Mm-hmm. It's There's hints of it, but it's not so dramatic and blatant anymore. After a period of time, after two or three generations, that is always a good time for things to be refreshed. But get this, Mystic Negro, BMW went from what we all love. You remember the 740i mm-hmm. and, and the IL, the shorty 40? Yeah. That thing was great. And then it seems like the generation right after that was flame surfacing. Uh-huh. So 
because generations last a while and depending on the car company like Nissan waits about 14 years between iterations. <laughs> it's not going to be sued, as much we know. This is going to be around a while. We introduced this three years ago. You're good. You're, you're good. <laughs> the Germans have a slightly shorter life cycle. Uh-huh. But a different generation, I think people are ready for this. And I think even more now that people are hungry for something that is refreshed. BMW hasn't done that for the longest time because the German thinking was always, we want our customers to trade in their old one and mm-hmm. upgrade to the new one and stay at BMW. Yeah. Do not yeah, go yeah. over to Mercedes. How dare you look over at Audi? Stay over here with the family. We've got the next larger model for you to get and it's all in the mm-hmm. same family. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't attract new buyers. And what attracts new buyers mm-hmm. is that style. That's why Hyundai and Kia have been so successful, in my opinion. But you're right. There's uh, any time's a good time, right? Ian Zachary is asking a question that is very pertinent to the experience we just had on these back roads for our Colorado meetup. He is saying he was he recently moved from a big city to a more rural location, and he's now surrounded by great driving roads. He has an Infiniti G37S sedan. And he said, look, I understand. This is no 911. It's not a GR86. I get it. But he said it easily outhandles pickup trucks and crossovers that he sees on all these great back roads. I agree. But he said on three recent occasions, he's caught up to a pickup truck on these Mm -hmm. back roads. Mm -hmm. And instead of the pickup truck pulling over at the mini turnouts, they never do that. Sorry. Instead of them pulling (laughs) over and taking 10 seconds to pull over, he said they always try to speed up and pull away from him to stay ahead of him rather than pull over and let him by. And he said he, he's seen as a result some really scary driving from trucks, crossing center line, dropping wheels on dirt shoulders. He said he doesn't want to witness them crashing and he doesn't want to race them. It's not his point. Mm. So how do we handle this? What do we do? We had some people on Million Dollar Highway pulling RVs yeah. with 10, 15 cars behind them, our group and more. And there's actually like like signs posted, cars with more than five cars behind them are required to pull over. It's it, This isn't me making it up. There's the sign, okay? Here is the sign, all right? So there's that. But they wouldn't. They were defiant about it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Ian, there's, there's actually, there's only two ways we handle this, and I've done both of the above. Do you know the road well enough to know that a safe key here, safe passing opportunity is coming? I mean, when there yes, are dashes yes. on your side, not a solid yeah, yellow line, double yellows. the yellow yeah. lines, there is a dash on your side, an actual passing zone. Do you know the road well enough to know that a passing zone is coming? And if so, you just prep yourself for it. Mm-hmm. You sit there and you wait through those corners ready to pass them. And so, you know, that kick down time that it takes, you're even ready for the kick down time. Yeah. So the minute yeah. that breaks, you, you've got them. That's one option if you can do it safely. But I'll tell you one I've done many, many, many times and has never let me down. I use the turnout. He mm. doesn't want to let me buy. I use the turnout. If I don't have anywhere I have to be in an immediate time, I'll just sit there in the turnout. And now what I'm doing is I'm looking behind me. How long can I wait until somebody comes around that corner way behind me? Because when somebody comes around the corner way behind me, that's the gap I now have. I get out in front uh-huh, of them. Now, uh-huh, now, please don't yeah. let them come around the blind corner and you, and you cut them off. Don't do that. I'm saying right. you get left enough that's space good. behind you that as soon as you see a person come around the corner behind you, that's your cue. And now you can take that time and you can zoom up and catch that pickup again. And when you yeah. get there, they may still be the same person. They still may not like you, but they can't hold you back from the fun you just had. That's, That's your open space. I've had roads. I've done that two and three times because I know this guy in the pickup is never pulling over. So I'm just going to keep coming up to his bumper and waving and then finding the next turnout and using it. That's excellent. On Instagram, Nick Lancey recently purchased his first, hopefully of many, sports cars, a year 2000 Boxster S. Congratulations, Nick. Welcome to the pool. <laughs> Apparently, we're going to we're going to visit the, the source the the source of the font. Yes, we the are. The source of the Porsche font we is happening are. this weekend at Rensport. Yes, Nick has never owned anything rear wheel drive or mid engine, and he's curious how much he actually has to worry about snap off or lift off over steer when on a mountain hmm. road. He plans on going to autocross events to find the edge, which is excellent. That's a great place to find the edge. Very, very good, yeah. He's consistently, no, constantly hyper aware of trying to be on the throttle in corners even at low speeds. Yes, this is now the mid-engine flavor. You have to learn to drive a mid-engine car differently than any front-engine car. And you can get a mid-engine car and a rear-engine car to push. We all can. We know how to get them to understeer greatly. And it is a completely different driving experience. And just like an Elise, you never want to lift mid-corner. Now that is mid at higher speeds. Yeah. At slow speeds, 
yeah, keep your phone on it just like you're doing, but this is your, your plan is really excellent. But the good news about a Boxster and a Cayman, for that matter, is that they are quite neutral yes. in their handling, more yes. neutral than, say, in a lease. I would say the most neutral and benign mid-engines made are the Boxster and Cayman. Now, that's a good thing. Don't let that think that it doesn't have good steering input or steering feel. True, it's true. just a, a different way of driving the car that you're going to have to understand. You can do trail braking through corners with those cars, but let's work up to things in, in, uh, in a mid-engine car. But again, a year 2000 Boxster S, yeah, it's got power, but it's not going to overwhelm the chassis, nor is it mm -hmm, going to overwhelm mm -hmm. the car. Go find those events and go understand when you're in an autocross event and you don't lift and what that does to the front end of the car. And then when you get better tires on the car, do that again mm -hmm. and you're, you're exploring. So now that's a great venue to be able to play with things. Lift, do a high-speed corner and lift. Mm -hmm. Let's lift. Let's feel what this car is going to do. I agree. I agree. That's a great venue to actually explore where those edges are. And congratulations on your purchase. Yeah, Nick, that's great. I'm going to add one little thing here. And that is when people talk about liftoff oversteer, what, what sometimes happens, I think, in our brains is we think, well, I have to be on throttle or accelerating the whole way through the corner. Not really. I, I, I want to say the thing that happens here, and that, that I want to explain about if you get liftoff oversteer, it is it happens in that moment of inhale. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is mm -hmm. you've turned into the corner and the corner just got sharper and you go, <gasps> that's a great point. And you either, you, you had your foot kind of on the throttle and now you pull it all the way off or you had your foot kind of on the brakes and now you give twice as much braking. It's that sudden shift to the front half of the car because you weren't ready. That's what gets you in trouble. And I would say the safest way to drive the mid-engine is to get weight on the front Wait the front before the corner and maybe get a little slower in the corner than you thought you needed to. And now mm -hmm. it's not going to surprise you and you can accelerate out. I agree with Paul's assessment. In autocross, please do it wrong. Yes. To see yes. what it does. That is the best possible venue for that. I'll even go one further. If you're not in an autocross, do you know of a big empty parking lot near you where you can just try it? Just go out there yeah. for the sheer purpose of trying yeah. to get it to do something weird mid-corner because you're not used to it. But I don't, I don't want to give you the impression that you can't do nuance in a mid-engine in the middle of a corner. You absolutely can. Yeah. But I'm talking yeah. nuance. I'm not talking abrupt. Abrupt is what gets you in trouble. Yeah, Nick, every driving school that you'll ever go to, they will instruct you that you're really just managing the contact patch of your tires whether you're accelerating hard or you're braking or the, the transition from throttle to brake. Autocross will magnify all of those sensations mm -hmm. like nothing else can. So I, th I think it's really great. Ryan Parker just watched our, uh, our, uh, all the photos you posted about our Rocky Mountain meetup, and he asked if we did Imogene Pass, which made me laugh. That is the serious off-roading pass that goes <laughs> through 13,000 feet between Ure and, and Telluride. Awesome. I have done it, and it is awesome, and I did it in a Jeep. There was a guy in front of me in a not off-road prepped Tacoma that was incredibly excited to do it. He was like aiming for the big part, difficult parts in his, I mean, like stuff was flying around in the truck, but he was having so much fun. <laughs> we did not do any of these sports cars. We drove uh, the surface streets from Telluride to Ure, and it was great. Richard Damiano says, does Griot's bug defender make cleaning your windshield at freeway speeds easier? Well, you don't want to clean your windshield while you're at freeway speeds. <laughs> He's just wondering if the That's sprayers difficult. Work that is hard. Don't lead out of the car, Richard. You're don't do that. You are a Cirque du Soleil act if you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that can be used on windshields, but then you're going to want to follow that up with actual windshield cleaner. It'll get the bugs off, but then the bug residue will, uh, will still need a cleaning after that. They do have a ceramic now infused window cleaner at Griot's, yes. and that might help you if you're doing preventative stuff, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, for sure. Nate is asking a loaded question. He's seen our Wrangler 392 piece, and he said he loves that we actually went out and took it off-road. He said, is there a chance of more off-road content? Nate, two things here. Off-road content is not our bread and butter. That's not what we're known for, okay? The people that want to watch off-road content generally want something more hardcore than Paul and I are going to do. <laughs> Matt's off-road recovery. <laughs> that, yes, which is very fun to Got watch. Got your bus stuck in the sedan? Seriously, the sand? That, we're not going to go that hardcore. And so it, along the lines of the everyday driver thing, I mean, this is where we're going to take this big off-roader and hopefully, like in the case of 392, do some off-road stuff to show you that it's capable. But even in that, we're talking about what is this like on a road? What is this like to take to Starbucks? Because we know most people are going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I've joked before about I take my Lotus Elise to drive through and I have to roll the top back. I mean, these are the realities of taking something specialized into our non-specialized world, if you will. The, the, the struggle I always have with off-road 
content, especially off-road comparisons, is I feel like the audience is expecting one of the vehicles to be broken at the end and have to be choppered out. Mm, yeah. And that's not what we're going to yeah. do. We're not out there to try to break anything. And I feel like the really interesting, you said Matt's off-road recovery, the really interesting <laughs> off-road content is now I'm stuck and this is broken. And that's not what we're aiming for. There's always that underlying, like, we're here to correct your mistake and, you know, maybe make a cool video in the process. Over on X, Ted Theologan says, what do we know about USPS vehicle rules? That is United States Postal Service vehicle rules. Could a fella buy a JDM right-hand drive vehicle and use that instead of a little box truck? I suppose you could. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose you could, but... You know, do you want to be mistaken for, for that? I don't know. I don't know how much they require or, or provide. I think if you're in a more rural area, you, I know an, our, our actual mail person doesn't drive one of those mail trucks. Because I think if you're delivering to like, an, ours is like a central box, mm-hmm. not not actual the, the different mailboxes at the end yeah, of the corner. Yeah, mine too. They drive a Sprinter. So at that point, you could drive whatever. So at yeah. that, you could probably get away with it. It depends on where you're delivering. But that's very funny. I didn't know we were aspiring to that. Ted Adam Green on Facebook said he's got a color question for me. Which is better? a color for the inside or the outside. He's looking at the Miata RF, and he said they make a great gray. I don't know that I like gray, but anyway, make a great gray (laughs) with a beautiful red interior, even on the dash and doors. Now, he said he knows Mm. that there's a beautiful soul red exterior and an all-black interior. Which would I pick and why? I'll tell you my favorite setup is a really nice red with a really nice tan and black accented interior. That is my favorite, Mm. to go color for both, okay? I. I understand, and Lexus does a great red, for example, they do a really good red interior, and I feel like every time I'm in a Lexus with a red interior, invariably it has a gray exterior, and I'm really pleased that it's red inside. If you want to go with a subtle exterior color, a a gray monochromatic shade of gray, shade of black thing, I agree, having an interior color definitely helps, but I am always the guy that is going to go color exterior, and if that means dark interior, so be it. Well, it's because you don't want your instrument panel to be a bright color, green or red or sure. even tan, it reflects in the windshield. You want something, you know, black instrument panel and then mm. some sort of insert in the doors or blue painted You're always slats. looking for the opportunity to, to excuse your blue painted <laughs> vents. There you go, yes. Wonderful find up at Rensport. More vent painted Well, what I want to find is the guy that stands there with the gloves and the spray can and goes, It's not a spray can. 614 MX5, another save the manuals question. Does buying a used car with a manual transmission help? Does it help what? Help help? Does it help manufacturers make more manuals? Sadly, not at all. Oh, well, they've already not made the sale. But it helps you, the enthusiast. It helps. Yes, it, it helps. If that's what you helps your emotion, helps your outlook on driving. Yes, it helps. It doesn't help if you have traffic or a commute. But yes, well, and it, it also doesn't help. It doesn't help the market make more manuals. Yeah, I think he said in his question there as well. What if the person you just bought the car from went and bought an auto? Yeah. Yikes. The the really the only thing the manufacturers care about is if we're going to make a manual, anyone show up and buy it. And yeah. if we stop showing yeah. up and buying it, then guess what? The flow of manuals will resoundingly stop. Although I'm seeing hints of more manuals, the, the car manufacturers are at least noticing. They are aware. Which is, you're right, a good thing. We got to buy them. That's the key we thing. Do. Guys, thank you for all your questions. You know where to write to us. We're always looking forward to hearing from you, hearing from, uh, from you've got something on your mind. You want to drop us a line. We always love those kinds of emails too. And if you haven't yet, we would love it if you rated this podcast. That would be really cool. You can do that on iTunes or wherever it is you actually listen to podcasts. Your ratings matter. Many people write to us regularly and say, I found this podcast because I just looked up best automotive podcast and you guys were on it. Mm -hmm. The reason our podcast is listed is because you guys rate it. So thank you for doing that. Also, if you would like to be even further involved in the madness of what we do and our community that is behind us, that is where you need to be a patron. Go to Patreon. You can get there directly through a link on our website. That gets you onto our Discord channel and a lot of other things like signing up for trips early and that is a fantastic community we've gained a lot of friends there and a lot of people have gained best friends there and gone on their own trips through discord it's fantastic amazing we're always looking forward to next time thanks everyone cheers cheers